Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And I'm your other co-host, Donnie Cage. Mr. Cage, how's it going, sir? It's going great, Kentucky Guy. How's it going for you? Oh, it is a beautiful, beautiful Saturday in the great state of Kentucky, and uh, everything's going, going, and going. (laughs) Hey, if this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. Also hit the notification button so you know every time we upload a new episode. We're on 73 different audio platforms, including Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcast, and the list goes on. Also, Mr. Cage is a part of another podcast that he created and co-hosts. Tell him about Uncaged Voice, sir. Yes, sir. The Uncaged Voice podcast is another podcast that I co-host with Jigsaw, Jester, and Top Tier Rated over on YouTube. We've produced around 20 episodes to date, and I actually have an interview coming up this week uh, that's going to air as a part of one of our upcoming episodes with a uh, Pittsburgh-based filmmaker. So that should be very interesting and definitely worth a listen. Yeah, fantastic. Also, if you're into current events, politics, uh, interviews, and things of that nature, you can check out the Red Pill Current News Podcast. I do host it. Uh, We drop two episodes there every single week. Also, we drop episodes here every Tuesday and Saturday on the Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. If you'd ever like to be a guest on this show, you can always email us at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. That's olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. Also, the website, merch site, all of our social media is in the description below. Be sure to check that out. All right, getting into the show, we're going to bring back something that we normally do on Saturdays. We haven't done on the last couple because we backlash and all that good stuff. My fantasy booking. And uh, Mr. Cage, as always, I'll let you start us out with yours, sir. Thank you, Kentucky guy. Well, this week we are going to the land of the rising sun for my fantasy booking. We are going to talk a little bit about a gentleman who's had tremendous amount of success overseas and is also pretty well known across the independent scene in, um, in the U.S. And he's actually considered one of the hottest free agents in uh, the independent wrestling scene currently, so it will be interesting watching where he goes in the coming months. But I am talking about none other than Mr. Kota Ibushi. 
Now, Kota Ibushi is a very famous wrestler in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I'll get into some of his major accomplishments in just a minute. But he got his professional wrestling start back in 2004 with the Dramatic Dream Team promotion. And over the next 11 years, he became a three-time KOD Openweight Champion, a five-time KOD Tag Team Champion, and a two-time KOD six-man tag team champion. He was, of course, one half of the tag team, the Golden Lovers, alongside Kenny Omega. And then it was also in 2009 that he started working for New Japan Pro Wrestling on a full-time basis. And he's continued working with New Japan over the course of the last mm, 14 years. Now, among his highlights in his career at New Japan Pro Wrestling. This man was a one-time never-open-weight champion. He was a champion of the best of the Super Juniors in, in 2011. He was the G1 Climax champion in 2019 and 2020. IWGP Tag Team Champion alongside Hiroshi Tanahashi. An IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion alongside Kenny Omega a three-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, and also a two-time IWGP Intercontinental Champion, and he was also the inaugural IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So this guy has basically done it all in New Japan and has had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. But for those of you who do not know, he actually worked for WWE back in 2016. He was a part of the very first cruiserweight classic and he competed against wrestlers such as Cedric Alexander, Brian Kendrick, TJ Perkins, Grand Metalik, the list goes on and on. And this was a great showcase for Kota Ibushi, so much so that a lot of people speculated that he was going to sign with WWE following the conclusion of the cruiserweight classic. Now, Kota Ibushi did confirm that he was offered a developmental contract with WWE in 2016, but he ended up turning it down because at the time he wanted to continue being a freelancer. He did not want to get tied down into any contract. And this is the point where I believe WWE missed a golden opportunity because if you remember, when they first reintroduced the Cruiserweight Championship, it was actually given to TJ Perkins. He won the Cruiserweight Classic and became the new Cruiserweight Champion. And TJ Perkins is a great wrestler. Don't misunderstand me. But in my opinion, when you look at the lineup of wrestlers that were a part of this tournament, Kota Ibushi would have been a natural choice to be your first Cruiserweight Champion and somebody who you really could have built that Cruiserweight division around. Now, obviously, we know because of his Japanese heritage, he's not great on the mic, at least not cutting promos in English, I should say. But when has that ever stopped cruiserweight wrestlers in, in the business? Think of all the different guys who competed in the cruiserweight divisions over the years in the U.S. who were not great on the mic. Names like Dean Malenko come to mind, Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio Jr., Juventud Guerrera. These guys were not master promo cutters. They just were amazing in the ring, and that's exactly what Kota Ibushi is. And just in my opinion, he would have added more credibility to the Cruiserweight title when it was reintroduced. And if anything, if WWE had said, hey, Kota, we are going to build the Cruiserweight division around you, 
that could have been the catalyst for also keeping him in the company for a, on a longer-term basis. Maybe eventually having him compete for the U.S. or Intercontinental title somewhere down the line. Not saying this guy would have catapulted all the way into the into the world heavyweight title scene or anything like that, but he still is an amazing competitor, and I think WWE missed the boat on uh, Kota Ibushi back in 2016. Your thoughts, Kentucky guy? I uh, I don't think they knew what they had. He is now. I've followed him for a long time. Uh, some of the things that you were first talking about uh, when mentioning his past achievements. Uh, I'm really glad you picked him because it kind of brought me brought me back because I've watched a lot of his career. And he is a main event world heavyweight champion type wrestler now, especially. Back then, I'll grant you, he was more of a mid-card uh, title holder like uh, Intercontinental, you know, tag team. But he... He's a main eventer, and to be uh, the free agent that he is, I think WWE dropped the ball so bad with him in 2016. I don't think they're even in his consideration uh, right now, where he's a free agent. I don't think uh, I don't think we'll see him in WWE maybe ever. He's going to go. I've said from, from day one that he was going to go to AEW because of the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. He's been there before. It's a lot easier to come from another country to a different promotion if you have friends there. Here is the issue with that, though, and why I don't say that too much here lately. I really believe there's a strong, strong possibility... AEW is going to lose the elites uh, because of this whole CM Punk tobacco and their contracts coming up to be expired. And Kenny Omega. When I say elites, I'm talking about the three, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. So we may see him end up right back in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because if the elites go to the WWE, I think because of that history, I don't think he'll follow. I don't think he will. Even though he wants to get in the U.S., he needs to, he needs to come to the U.S. for a while to get the the proper recognition he deserves. However, he's had history. I just don't see him doing it with the WWE. I can't see him going to Impact. He really doesn't know anyone there. Possibility he could still go to AEW now that Jay White and Juice Robinson's there because he does know them. Very slim, though because he's not as close as he is to the elite. So it'll be interesting. I think that's a, a decent pick overall. I think uh, he really, imagine if he would have stayed. We're talking about, what, six years ago, seven? If he would have stayed with the WWE, just imagine where he would be right now. He wouldn't have got lost in a shovel because he's got that look. He would need a Paul Heyman, somebody to do promos. But if they booked him just right with the right manager, wow. Wow. He'd probably be one of the one the contenders for Roman Reigns' title, I'd have to say, because he's that good. Sorry, didn't mean to golf on a tangent, but 
these independent guys, I really like it when we mention them on the show because they deserve it. They work hard, 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 hard. And most of them, believe it or not, work 300 days a year. So they deserve the recognition whenever they can get it. Okay, so my fantasy booking this episode is none other than Hossein Corroso Ali. Yeah, you remember him? All-time wrestler, old uh, Ali. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't know him by his name. You would know him by his ring name, which was the famous, the Iron Sheik. Now, you all might be saying, well, Kentucky guy, the Iron Sheik, I mean, he had a pretty, pretty phenomenal career. Why would you be talking about him? And you're right. He did have a phenomenal career, but only there's this one company that blew it. It's kind of like they did with uh, your pick, Mr. Cage. They blew it when they had the opportunity to run with this guy. So he grew up in Iran in a working class factory, had little money, actually had no running water. And uh, he idolized Iranian Olympic gold medalist wrestler Gormez Takada. And he made a name for himself as an amateur wrestler. One thing a lot of people don't know about the Iron Sheik is he worked as a bodyguard for Shisha Muhammad and the rest of his family for several years. However, in 1972, he was invited to become a professional wrestler by promoter Vern Gangi. He trained at uh, Gangi, and I thought it was going to be Vern Goslin, but it's not. It's Gangi's wrestling camp under trainer Billy Robinson and was in the same class as none other than Ric Flair. He wrestled for the American Wrestling Association. He also worked with trainer as a trainer. Tichi, check this out. He trained Ricky Steamboat and Jim Brunzel. He first wrestled in a primary matches before the promoter suggested he adopt the heel gimmick. He was first a face. They suggested he become a heel similar to that of the notorious Sheik. So he was in WWF from 1983 to 1988. During this time, he was the world heavyweight champion for a year. He was the tag team champion with Nikolai Volkov for over a year and in 2005 he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame pretty good career however in 1989 through 90 he went to the WCW uh-huh no championships he lost most of his matches in the WCW and when he first came to the, the company, when he first came to the company, he had a short feud with Sting. Shortly after his feud with Sting, and it came to an end, the Iron Sheik ran in a uh, run in WCW, shifted from inside the ring to outside of his aligned himself with Ron Simmons. Get this, he actually became Ron Simmons' manager. The move intended to help 
elevate Simmons as a star, saw Sheik accompany him in the ring during his matches, uh, reveal he was training him, and even announce his intention to find the future WCW world champion, a tag team partner. The partnership was short-lived, though, and it came to an end almost as soon as it started. The Iron Sheik quickly disappeared off in television, while Ron Simmons would eventually join forces with Butch Reed. It was, you know, throughout WCW's history, they became known for some of its most embarrassing blunders. The best example when it comes to the Iron Sheik was the way they accidentally (laughs) allowed Sheik's uh, initial one-year contract to roll over, extending it despite the fact that he was readily been used in months on the program. Instead of issuing a contract notice, WCW simply forgot to do so, ensuring Iron Sheik gained an extra year with the promotion. (laughs) Something that they didn't mean to happen. So I think that's funny because, look, they didn't know what they had. This guy was, he's been a world champion in five other promotions before going there, including the best, which was the WWF at that time, plus a tag team champion, all these accolades. He has wins against Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. I mean, the list goes on. You put him in WCW and he loses most of his matches to like Buff Bagwell and Sting. Really, can see why the WCW went out of business. Your thoughts, sir? Well, I think people often forget how much um, the Iron Sheet contributed to professional wrestling, particularly in like the early to mid-80s because... He was the guy who ended Bob Backlund's near six-year reign as WWF champion at the time. Yes, he was the guy who also dropped the belt to Hulk Hogan, so I know a lot of people like to call him a transitional champion, but it, it, it was still a big deal. I mean, just because that was during a, a time period when heels weren't really the champions, at least not the world champions. The WWF, you have to remember in its early years, always built their programming around the big babyface champion, whether it was Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, whatever the case was. So the Iron Sheik is in the record books just for that reason alone, that he was in the ring with some of those guys. And again, he also was the a tag team champion with Nikolai Volkov. He was over as a heel, big time, for many, many years in the WWF and in other promotions. Also had a famous feud with Sergeant Slaughter, which people always forget about. And granted, by the time he landed in WCW, he really was, that was really the downturn of his career because his body was starting to break down at that point. He wasn't nearly as athletic as he was in his younger years, but he still had a lot to contribute to the business due to his experience. And I actually, and this was at a time before I was really watching WCW, I had no idea that they paired him with Ron Simmons at one point, so that kind of blew, that kind of blew my mind uh, reading about, hearing about that. But um, there's definitely ways that it could have been utilized better in WCW, and and as as per usual during that time period, WCW was in a transitional phase. Um, you had new management coming in, and they were trying to, you know promote the younger the younger talent while forgetting about the veterans and what they did for the business. That's why many times they tried to push Ric Flair out of the main event scene 
And they realized very quickly they had to keep bringing him back because he was still a draw. And he could still go. So, um, you know, Iron Sheik just another classic example of, uh, of a ring veteran who still had a lot to contribute that wasn't utilized properly. Yeah. Um, just to piggyback off something you said there, when he left the WCW, he actually went back to the WWE and uh, wrestled there for four more, three more years. So he didn't win any championships, but he come back as a sergeant something uh, who was pro-American and against Iran. <laughs> he kind of flipped his character when he come back. I don't know if you remember that or not, but. Well, no, actually, he was, they renamed him Colonel Mustafa, and it was when uh, Sergeant Slaughter was doing the whole pro-Iraq, Iraqi sympathizer gimmick. So suddenly this guy who was symbolic of the country of Iran was now pro-Iraq, which was unheard of at the time. Yep, you're right. That's what it was, Iraq. Yep, 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 yep. And Sergeant Slaughter actually turned against America. I remember now. Okay. All right, so let's go into SmackDown results. Uh, we had a uh, the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament on SmackDown, and this was the winner of this tournament was going is going to wrestle Seth Rollins at Night of uh, Champions. Uh, the first match was Edge versus Rey Mysterio versus AJ Styles. I thought this was a really good match. Uh, even though I'm not a huge Rey Mysterio or Edge fan, I thought they both come out to play. I thought it was a really good match. AJ Styles is the guy who should have won and did win the match. And uh was very happy to see that. And uh, yeah, so the next World Heavyweight Championship Tournament match was a three-way as well. And that was Sheamus versus Bobby Lashley versus Austin Theory. I thought this match was okay. I don't think it was as good as the first one. However, I think the right guy won, and I thought that was pretty cool that Bobby Lashley won that match. Now, the reason why I'm going on is because the winner of these two matches fought, and that winner will face Seth Rollins. And that winner in the main event was AJ Styles versus Bobby Lashley. Really, really good match. I really thought SmackDown had some good matches this week. And AJ Styles is going on to face Seth Rollins. <laughs> that should be a good one at Night of Champions in Saudi Arabia. Cannot wait to watch that match. Can't really tell you. I've said from the beginning that that was Seth Rollins' title. I'm going to stick by that. But, wow, he has a true competitor in AJ Styles. And AJ, both of these guys need the push. They really do. They haven't had that push in a while and both deserving. So, should be a classic. Your thoughts on uh, the start of uh, SmackDown, sir? Yeah, honestly, there were so many different ways they could have gone with these matches. I mean, I, just because I'm a fan of most of the competitors that were in the tournament on SmackDown, would have been okay with any one of those guys going on to face Seth Rollins at Night of Champions. But I absolutely agree, Kentucky guy. I think AJ Styles was the best pick out of all of them to win on the SmackDown side and go up against Seth Rollins. I still feel this is Seth Rollins' time and his opportunity to be the be the inaugural world heavyweight champion, at least in this iteration of the title. But I, I think it's going to be a great match at Night of Champions. I think any anyone who watches that premium live event is in for a treat. Yeah, I do too. And the only reason, like I said, I'm sti I've said it 
when they first announced the title, go back and listen to the episode, I said that that title was for Seth Rollins. Even before we knew it was going to be a tournament style and Seth was going to be in the tournament. That's what I said from the beginning. However, AJ Styles is that kind of athlete. You can't really count him out, so it's going to be interesting. Now, you said you would have been okay with anybody winning that. Um, I kind of disagree. I don't think you would have been happy if Austin Theories would have won that match. Well, well, I said almost anybody, <laughs> Kentucky guy. Uh, Austin Theory would not have been one of those uh, choices. <laughs> Leave my boy alone, son. Youngest United States champion ever. And then we had, oh gosh, this match here. The only thing you could do when I watched this match was just laugh. And that was Cameron Grimes versus Baron Corbin. So Baron Corbin's been off television for a while. He got a reaction in Paris or something. We read a headline about it uh, a couple episodes ago. Bring him back to television to lose in five seconds. Maybe ten seconds. Yeah. Uh, just tell the guy his career is over and get rid of him. Quit wasting our time. Your thoughts? This was uh, th- this was my bathroom break. I mean, you've always got to take one during uh, during the show. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I-, I went to go use the bathroom. I came back, and the match was over. I was going to say, you'd have to use the bathroom awful fast <laughs> if you're judging that on your break. But, uh, yeah, it just, uh, I like Cameron Grimes. I wish they would he would have had more of a comp- competitor for his debut but uh, on SmackDown, but you know, he's, he's got a long career ahead of him. I like him a lot. I think he's got a lot of upside. I hope he gets away from that to the moon crap. I think he's better than that. And uh, I'd like to see him have another feud with LA Knight. Their feud on NXT will go down as classic over the million dollar belt in my eyes. And then the bloodline, Roman Reigns shows up, shows up on SmackDown for the first time since WrestleMania. Raymond's Roman Reigns takes the microphone. He says, Solo stepped up at Backlash. He took care of the riddle problem. Reigns said he can tell Solo, he can tell that he's still thinking about the Owens and Zayn problem, but they're not the problem. The problem is his brothers. Yeah, got a little heated there. Reigns told the Usos lost at WrestleMania and then dedicated the match at Backlash to him, and they lost again. And I remember Reigns, he's like, why would you dedicate the match to me? I'm not even a tag team participant, (laughs) which is true. And then he told them, he didn't ask, he told them to apologize. Jimmy laughed, Jimmy Uso laughed, as the crowd chanted, no. Reigns, pie-faced Jimmy. Jimmy looked like he was going to go after Reigns. He looked like it, but Jay stopped him and apologized. Jimmy asked Reigns for one more chance to go after the tag team championship. Reigns said the tag team championship will come back to the bloodline and told Heyman uh, to fill them in. Heyman said Reigns authorized him to pull every string with the board of directors at Night of Champions. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will defend the tag team championship against... Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Reigns said he dedicates that match and their win to the greatest tag team of all time, Afa and Saika, the Wild Samoans. 
So there's definitely still fraction, a big fracture in the bloodline. Here's the thing. What happens if Reigns and Solo win the titles? And I think that's a possibility just to go with this storyline. What happens then? Or will Jimmy and Jay somehow cost Solo and Reigns the match? Hmm. Food for thought. Your thoughts, sir. Man, this is a, this was an interesting wrinkle in this storyline. I have to say that I, I, what I was expecting him to announce is I thought what he was going to do is he was going to pair Solo up with Jay Uso, and they were going to challenge Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens for the titles. But the fact that he is stepping up himself, and it's going to be Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa challenging them, man, that's that's definitely an interesting wrinkle. And yeah, if they were to actually pull it off and beat Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, that's almost like the ultimate sign of disrespect to the Usos right there. Like, you guys just aren't good enough. You couldn't get the job done. So we have to show you how to be real tag team champions. But now, what happens, like you just said, if Roman Reigns and Solo end up losing the match? I mean, would this be a scenario where Roman Reigns would actually take the pinfall? which would be the first time he's been pinned in over two years. Now, granted, he wouldn't lose his uh, WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, but imagine if that were to happen, because I think if Solo Sokoa were to take the pinfall here, that would be that would be also kind of a, a little bit of a blemish on his record, because he's been booked to look so strong. Unless, of course, this is going to be a match where there's some sort of like disqualification ending, and that... Because they haven't announced any special stipulations for this match. It's just it's just a regular tag team match thus far. Yeah, that's why I say the outcome really has to be they win or the Usos play some part causing them to lose. That's the only outcome that makes sense to me. I don't know. Kind of to go along with what you're saying, how strong Reigns and uh, Sequoias have, you know, we've seen them look so i don't know It'd be interesting uh then to go over AEW results real quick let's uh this is the best AEW dynamite i've seen in a while i really think and we know they've stepped up their game uh with all the other promotions going against the nba finals or the yeah the finals however or you can't really playoffs let's not say finals uh however this was really I just, uh, I'm not a fan of some of the outcomes, but I thought it was some pretty good matches. You had the uh, the double jeopardy match, which means uh, whoever wins gets to face the champion and their partner if they have one uh, for the belt. The Ring of Honor champion, uh, Claudio, versus the tag team champion, Ray Phoenix. Claudio won the match. Don't really think that... Uh, I don't agree with that. I think Claudio has got the push and he's been overpushed in Ring of Honor and AEW and uh, he's held that title way too long and he's just not a champion material, I don't think. I don't think he represents him that well. But anyways, now he can pick a partner from his team and face uh, Ray Phoenix and his brother for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Wait a minute. That's wrong. They are the Ring of Honor 
They're, this was noted wrong. They're, they are the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. FTR is the AEW Champions. So, yeah, this was real wrong. Sorry about that. So, yeah, so now Claudio can pick somebody to go against Ray Phoenix and his brother for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. Uh, then we had the AEW International Championship match. Once again, Orange Cassidy, they make him look invincible. I don't know why. He had a good competitor, Daniel Garcia. I thought Garcia won the match. I thought he won the in every which way. He was very good in the match. However, he come up short and he lost due to a roll-up pinfall, which was ridiculous. When you have both these competitors actually did good in this match, but you blow it when you freaking when you let a match in that way. Anyways, then I'll go over one more. We had a no holds bar match, which I thought was great. Uh Anna J versus Julia Hart. Wow. Julia Hart, she's kind of scary now. She has stepped up her game and looks really good as a competitor. That's the first time I've seen her compete since she was with the varsity club. And uh very impressed. Very impressed. I know her demeanor and her outfits have changed, but her ring style has changed and has been sharpened a lot. So your thoughts on those three matches, sir? Yeah, the two women definitely impressed me. I wasn't going into this expecting all that much. But Anna Jay and uh, Julia Hart, like you said, especially, both looked really good. Uh, so I'll give them that. The Orange Cassidy-Daniel Garcia match. I have to agree with you here, Kentucky guy. I think Daniel Garcia absolutely should have won this match and become the new international champion. I think he would have had a lot more credibility to that title because of his own wrestling ability. So this was the wrong booking decision in my eyes. Now... Claudio and Ray Phoenix, both I like both guys. I, I, I think they're both great. I'm totally in favor of Claudio winning this match. I've always been a fan of his work, dating back to the old days of Ring of Honor and his work in WWE as Cesaro. So no issues from me here. Um, if I had to make a prediction as to who his tag team partner is going to be, I'm thinking out of the Blackpool Combat Club, he might choose Brian Danielson just because of his own history with Ring of Honor, and I think that would be an amazing tag team match for the uh, Ring of Honor tag team titles. Claudio and Brian Danielson against the uh, Lucha Brothers. Uh, yeah, as long as they don't win, I, I can see that match. Uh, then we had the Trios Championship on the line. Open house match. We had the current champions, the House of Black, against Bandito, and I don't know why he has aligned him. This is Bandito is such a phenomenal wrestler. Why he has aligned himself with Orange Cassidy and the best friends, I just don't understand. But he wrestled with the best friends to become the trio's champion. And they failed, of course. And Bandino aligning himself with these knuckleheads is going to, going to continue to fail. Yeah. This is not the right path for him. He is, he's a champion. He's not a trios. He's not a tag. He's a singles competitor, amazing champion. And they just, Tony Khan's starting to remind me of Vince McMahon. When Vince McMahon, when they used to bring people up and he was ahead of creative from NXT to the main roster. What are you doing with these guys? I just don't get it. Your thoughts on that match and we'll get in the main event. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm happy the House of Black won. Don't misunderstand me. They need to continue to be looking strong and add more prestige to the trio's titles. So, 100% in favor of the end result. Bandito and the best friends. Yeah, 
it's a strange, it's a strange pairing. Um, if you're not pairing Orange Cassidy with the best friends, then I don't know who else you should pair with them. Bandito definitely should have had um, either been paired up with maybe like the Lucha Brothers or just some other tag team that uh, would have made more sense. I mean, even like Bandito paired up with FTR or somebody like that would have made more sense than um, the best friends. Well, team him with his old, if you're going to put it, if, you, if you've got to have him in a tag team, put him with his old partner that used to dominate Ring of Honor, and that's Rush. You still got Rush on the program. They, they are an amazing tag team. Have you ever watched those two wrestle together? I have not. I mean, I knew, I knew they had a rivalry uh, and have been opponents. I didn't realize they actually used to team yep, together. Actually, before that feud started, they were an actual team and pretty dominant. Uh, they didn't hold any titles, but they were they were pretty dominant. All right, then we had the main event, which was uh, just crazy. Just crazy. And there was a steel cage match. Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. And after months of teases, it finally happened on television, on Dynamite, during the main event. In the final moments of the steel cage match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley, Don Callis showed up and stabbed Kenny Omega, leading to John Moxley winning the match. He was able to get into the cage because Omega went crashing, or he actually sent John Moxley crashing through the side of the cage after he delivered a V-trigger. The show ended with Moxley walking up the ramp and celebrating, and Omega in the ring with blood on his head as the trainers checked on him. Don Callis, is he William Regal's replacement? What is going on there? I seen him turning on Omega. I did not see him helping the combat club. So is he was it just a just happened to be wrestling John Moxley and he done this because Kenny Omega or Don Callis is actually the main reason why Kenny Omega got the match and uh screwed over John Moxley to become the AEW world champion. So this is kind of like a full circle story in a sense, but we really don't know where Don Callis stands. He's a weasel. We know that uh, Kenny Omega. He called. You know, he used to call him like a son to him. I just uh, man, it's weird, and that's another sign to me that Omega's on his way out of AEW. Uh, just to be honest with you, to me that's a sign. I don't know your thoughts on the main event. Well, let me just say in terms of match quality, this was so much better than the last time these two faced each other. Do you remember that awful exploding barbed wire ring yes. match for the AEW World Set when the roles were reversed, when Omega was the heel and Moxley was the baby face? We all remember that. Um, so this was a much better match. Uh, this, this, was almost, this was almost a pay-per-view quality match, I would say, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was kind of hoping Kenny was going to win this match, but Don Callis turned against him, which is unfortunate. Truth be told, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks don't need Don Callis, so I'm not necessarily shocked that he turned on them. I knew it was a matter of time, but um, I don't know. I don't think Don Callis is actually aligning himself with the Blackpool Combat Club. I think he just decided to cut the cord with Kenny Omega after all this time because I guess in his mind... Kenny Omega thinks he's a star without Don Callis, which he is. He's been a star everywhere without Don Callis. Kenny Omega does not need Don Callis. 
So um, this is the best case scenario for the elite, in my opinion. So not really upset about that, but it will be interesting to see what developments come out of this. Yeah. Okay. So my question is, if he doesn't align himself with the Blackpool Combat Club, where does he go? What's he do? Is he off the show? I mean, you know he's not going to stay manager of the Young Bucks after doing that to Kenny Omega. So where'd you go? Food for thought. All right, sir. So go ahead and knock out your three headlines. Yes, sir. Just a second to bring them up. And all right. So a major wrestling star is booked for AEW All In in London. Wonder who that could be. All Elite Wrestling will make its debut in the United Kingdom when they run Wembley Stadium for the All In show on August 27th. The venue has a capacity of up to 90,000 fans, and they've already sold over 60,000 tickets. New Japan star Will Ospreay, who is from the UK, previously expressed interest in working the show. Ospreay is not a stranger to working matches in AEW, as he wrestled in a few matches in 2022, including defending the IWGP US Championship against Orange Cassidy at last year's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. While speaking on Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer noted that Osprey is booked for this upcoming show. Will Osprey, as of a couple of days ago, was booked on the show. I do not know his opponent. I do not know the match, but he was booked on the show, Meltzer stated. Now, right off the bat, I am going to speculate that if he's still under contract with AEW, that we are probably going to see Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. Because honestly, I can't think of a better match to have on that card for Will Ospreay. Um, not to mention the fact that they had an amazing match working for New Japan Wrestling earlier this year. So, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. That's the match that you book. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, now he is under contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling, but they have this deal... Uh, with AEW, that uh, some of their wrestlers can go back and forth. Yes, absolutely. Can you? Yeah. What are you going to do? Put them against Orange Cassidy again? Yes, I agree, hundred percent. That's all I got to say. Him and Kenny Omega. That's got to be the match. Somehow you need to work him into this storyline uh, going on with the Omega. Just, just do it. Make it happen because that's the match we all want to see. You next. I mean, honestly, that could be the guy that uh, Don Callis brings in. He could, we could find out he's endorsing Will Ospreay. Hey, you know what? Will Ospreay is actually fantastic as a heel, and I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. All right, sir. You got the next one? Backstage news on the AEW returns of Miro and Thunder Rosa, two names we haven't seen yeah. in quite a while. Wednesday's episode of AEW Dynamite featured the returns of Miro and Thunder Rosa as both did backstage segments with Renee Paquette. For Miro, he was asked what brought him back to Dynamite, but he didn't answer. Instead, he walked into Tony Khan's office. Miro hasn't wrestled regularly since 2021, and in fact, last year, he only wrestled four times. Regarding Rosa, she also did an interview and said tonight seemed to be a good night to talk with Khan, before also going into his office. Thunder Rosa relinquished the AEW Women's World Title in November due to a back injury after missing a few months of action. She returned to the road with AEW as part of the Spanish commentary team back in February. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful Select reported that the returns of Miro and Thunder Rosa 
as well as other wrestlers incoming are directly tied to the, de the debut of AEW Collision. While speaking on Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer noted Rosa is still dealing with a back. Um, now, Dave Meltzer does go on to say that they still don't know the timetable for Thunder Rosa to get back into the ring. This is just kind of to get her back on television to generate interest and create a buzz, which I think is good, especially if you are planning on bringing her back eventually. I mean, she was pretty over with the AEW fans before she went out with injury. Personally, I was not the biggest Thunder Rosa fan. I thought she's okay, don't get me wrong, but I think there's other women in AEW that deserve the spotlight more than she does. Hopefully she can get back in the ring. I mean, she is a pretty good competitor. As far as Miro goes, we've been talking for months now, Kentucky guy. Why are you wasting this guy? He is a great, great talent. And, you know, quite honestly, he could be utilized so much better in AEW than he is. I mean, this man right now probably should be the AEW international champion instead of Orange Cassidy. Well, yeah, of course. Are what? So are you telling me that you're going to take Murrow and just put him put him on your Saturday show? I mean, okay, I guess. I mean, still don't know how many people is going to watch that Saturday show. This guy, here's the thing. He's not only phenomenal in the ring, he's a good draw. And he has some pretty good ideas. You know, Rusev Day, who I thought was stupid when I first seen it, actually whew, went over big time. So I, I just, yes, it's good they're bringing him back. Thunder Rosa, never been a fan. I uh, think she was overrated. I don't think she... You know, I mean, you guys who've listened to this program, you know, I don't think she ever should have been champion, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, here's your chance to work in some of these. Okay, so I kind of get the whole purpose of collision because of these wrestlers on the back burner. I get it. I get it. But every report that you put out there makes it look like it's CM Punk show. And that's the whole reason for developing the show. So get away from that, and you'll hook me. I'll want to watch the show. I don't want to watch the show if it's going to be the CM Punk show. Just being honest about it. But if you're going to start advertising Miro and these other uh, superstars on the show, do it the right way and get away, get away from talking about Punk every day. So, All right, and to, to close out my headlines, Kentucky guy, one of your favorites. Backstage news on WWE's Drew McIntyre's <laughs> chances of showing up at AEW All-In. There is still no word on Drew McIntyre's contract situation, other than nothing has changed from last time. The belief is that McIntyre is not happy with the creative direction of his character, and both sides are far apart on terms for a new deal. McIntyre has actually not appeared on WWE television since WrestleMania. There's been a lot of discussion among fans that perhaps he could show up at All In in London this September, but that's not a possibility. Dave Meltzer reported that there is basically no chance of that happening because his WWE deal expires months after All In. And if, and that's a big if, he leaves WWE, he wouldn't be able to show up in AEW or anywhere else until 2024. 
And furthermore, there's a good chance WWE will add time to his deal to make up for the time he's been out with an injury. So don't look for McIntyre to pop up in another promotion anytime soon. So, um, again, we're of two different opinions here, Kentucky guy. That's been well documented. I like Drew McIntyre and think he still has a lot to offer the wrestling business. Um, but I do agree that since he's really not being utilized in WWE, and unless they plan on turning him heel and making him the vicious Scottish psychopath uh, again on Raw, then he's probably better off going elsewhere, whether that's AEW, whether it's Impact, where he was again a, 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 champ, a world champion in Impact, so I'm sure they'd welcome him back with open arms. Or if he wants to give his shot working for New Japan, I could definitely see that, see him fitting in uh, in that promotion, and it'd be a new audience for him. But uh, yeah, uh, AEW fans again, don't get, don't go jumping out of your seat for a Drew McIntyre appearance because it's not going to happen, uh, according to this report, until 2024 at the earliest. I, I, pre- I would like for him to go to Impact. Yeah. Well, why is that? Why do you have an opinion on this? Because I can't stand the guy and I don't watch Impact. <laughs> so that's where he needs to go. Yeah, that'd be a very, very good place for him to end up. So I don't have to talk about him or see him in the ring ever again. Anyways, let's get on. <laughs> WWE is reportedly considering a new member for Judgment Day. The Judgment Day has come a long way in WWE as it first started. You remember, and and this is true, you remember when they first started Judgment Day for weeks, we were talking about on this show how they're dropping the ball, how why don't they just get rid of this faction if they're not going to do anything with it, blah, blah, blah. Boy, oh boy, it's amazing what a year will do. And uh, so it's a the group actually started last year by Edge, where he recruited Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley before the group turned on Edge when Finn Balor joined. Dominique Mysterio later turned heel and was added to the faction, leading to a feud with Edge and Rey Mysterio. Uh, Ripley and Mysterio have grown the most while with the group. I disagree with that. I think Damian Priest. As he he's he's always been amazing, but he's really come to his own with the group, I believe, and probably will end up being the leader of the group if it lasts. Uh, now the company is looking to potentially add adding a new member. NXT talent was a part of this year's WWE draft, including JD McDonald. Love this guy. Love this guy. I think he's the Irish Ace. Love this guy who scored a win over Dragon Lee on Tuesday's NXT, being called up to the main roster. He starts on the main roster this Monday on the Raw brand. The Boozer 66 Twitter account. By the way, if you guys aren't following this account, you really should, because these guys, they have a history of breaking stories. I don't know who they are, but man, uh, they're always... They, let's put it this way. I go there for news, not rumors. And I can 99% of the time count on these guys. So, Boozer66, Twitter. If you're not following them and you're a wrestling fan, you're missing out. But anyways, they reported that he's being heavily discussed for joining the Judgment Day. Yeah, let's do it. The Irish Ace. I'm all for it, man. I think he'd be phenomenal. Oh, man, him and Finn Balor teaming together as a tag team would just be off the charts. Your thoughts on that headline, sir? 
So that's interesting. I had not heard that headline. Um, I mean, the little bit that I know about J.D. McDonough, uh, you know, I, I could potentially see him as a part of Judgment Day. Um, I mean, he'd have to change up his ring gear a little bit, but pretty much every member changes up their ring gear when they join Judgment Day. Um, and they have come a long way as a faction um, in the last year. You know, for me, what's crazy is you mentioned something interesting, Kentucky guy, which I totally agree with. I could totally see Damian Priest sliding more into that like de facto leadership role of Judgment Day because I feel like that's the path they've been on the last few months. Um, and, you know, if anything, the one member of Judgment Day who I think has actually suffered in the last couple of months has been Finn Bauer. He's actually been starting to get a little stale for me in the group, whereas the other members have not, particularly Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio. And um, I could almost see them, you know, welcoming J.D. McDonough into the group and kicking Finn Bauer out, and he disappears from TV for a little while. Um, I'm not saying that'll happen, but I, but I would, but it would not shock me to be perfect. Yeah. Honest. I don't think that'll happen only because, only because, uh, they've already done that storyline with edge. I don't, I don't see that happening possible, but all right. And my lax headline for, uh, this episode is let's see, Alexa bliss, WWE return update. Bray Wyatt return is up to management and him. Hmm. Earlier this month, it was reported by the Boozle Razzle private Twitter account that WWE wants Alexa Bliss for Night of Champions in Saudi Arabia. Presumably, this means that she will be integrated into WWE storyline soon, but that's not confirmed. The last time Bliss appeared on WWE television was back at the Royal Rumble, where she lost to Bianca Belair. Her name hasn't been mentioned on TV since she recently appeared on the, but she has recently appeared on the Masked Singer and Jimmy Fallon's That's My Jam. So she's been busy during her time away. Dave Meltzer reported earlier this month that Bliss has been ready to return. The latest update from uh, the Boozer states that Bliss will be with the roster in Saudi, but he does not know what her TV situation is time is going to be night of champions will air live from Judea, Saudi Arabia on Saturday, May 27th. As for Bray Wyatt, there's nothing to report other than Bray is up to management and him. Bray Wyatt disappeared from TV months ago. His storyline that included Bo Dallas, his uncle Howdy has stopped. Oh, wow. This guy actually come out and said Bo Dallas is uncle Howdy. That's not been confirmed 100% folks. So we're not, we're not saying that this is, Facts. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, Wyatt has reportedly been dealing with an illness. However, he was recently seen in public and seemed to be in good spirits. Yeah, I just wanted to... We haven't given an update on those two in a while because uh, there hasn't been one. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why they would push for Alexa Bliss to be in Saudi Arabia, mainly because uh, she's a good-looking female. And they don't like that there. They don't like they don't like females in Saudi Arabia, or they got some weird thing against them. I don't know. Uh, the way they treat their women is absolutely horrible. Not jumping into politics, not going there, but just saying um, if they were pushing for like a guy wrestler like Bray Wyatt, that would make more sense than pushing a female wrestler to be at Saudi Arabia to me because I know how they stand on that junk. So, anyways, 
Uh, your thoughts, sir, on that headline? I, I think it's kind of doubtful that Alexa Bliss is actually going to be at Night of Champions, even though they say, well, we could really benefit from having her star power. Um, so, you know, let, let those cards uh, fall where they may. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with her in terms of the storyline. I don't know if they're going to pick up where they left off when she was taken off television or what's going to happen. Um, and again, Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy, their characters and storylines are completely up in the air. I'm still convinced, Kentucky guy, that when they keep, mention that, keep mentioning that he's dealing with an illness, that it's not some sort of physical illness, although I have heard rumors that it, that it was an injury he was rehabbing. Um, I'm still convinced that, uh, you know, what I had heard on, I believe it was Conan's podcast a couple months ago, which is that he's actually dealing with some sort of, um, you know, men mental issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, whatever, whatever the case is. And that's actually what's keeping him out of the ring for an extended period of time. Again, just my thoughts. Um, so, so who knows again, as always, when we're going to see him return to television and what's going to happen. In my experience, uh, with, uh, mental issues and, and, uh, I've researched this some because it, it's such, there's so many friends and, and, and loved ones and that, that deal with this because it's such a serious, it's a serious, it's a real disease. It's a serious thing. And the only thing that differs from what you're saying there is in just what I've read. I mean, thank, thankfully I've, I've never had to deal with it, um, personally myself, but just what I've read and researched usually anxiety and things of that nature happen when things are going not when you're not in the best state, like when it's not, when things aren't going great. What's weird is it seemed like things were going great when Bray Wyatt went off in uh, WWE television. He finally was back on pay-per-view with uh, LA Knight, And you know, uh, he was doing segments, uh, vignettes every single week on SmackDown and uh, getting over, staying over with the crowd. Uncle Howdy did that amazing dive off on that platform on LA night. So I don't know. It just seemed like the timing's weird. Am I wrong on that or what are your thoughts? No, no. And again, that, this is all just, we got to remember, this is just all speculation. We're getting this information piecemeal. We don't really know what the deal is we just keep hearing dealing with an illness or dealing with an injury it's so vague yeah yeah so we just trying to draw our own conclusion i got you all right sir that's all i've got for this episode how about yourself yes sir all right folks thank you so much for joining us you've been listening to against the mat a wrestling podcast With your host is Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Folks, as always, God bless and God bless America. Thank you all.